Welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast in which we're seeking a profound shift in the way that we react to things. We do that through weekly discussions and twice weekly readings and responses from some of the great thinkers and spiritual writers. And my name is Richard, and I'm a spiritual coach and a mindfulness teacher with over 20 years of experience in treatment and private practice. And my name is Josh, and I'm an ordained pastor and a writer with a history of directing spiritual communities. We want you to be a part of everything that we do. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Please contact us at 424-341-3860 and follow us on This Shifting Moment on Instagram and Facebook. Keep yourself sane while you're, you know, doing your thing and, and working hard and showing up and doing all that. And at the same time, the nature of Instagram and the things that quote unquote keep us connected are constantly pointing us towards stuff and what other people have and everything. And I think I think maybe this the reason this is coming up is I'm I'm in the process of like moving, right? So like my wife and I have moved out of Santa Monica into this Woodland Hill spot. And it's just so funny to see we've been going to a lot of these stores you know, like furniture stores or like, like God forbid, like a home goods or something like that, which is like a nightmare sent from hell. But <laughs> these places where we're in, like everyone there is just stuff, 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 you know, like grabbing stuff, stuff, stuff. We literally, we bought a carpet. This is, this is a great story. Actually, We bought a carpet and uh, they won't like take the carpet off the thing. It's like this huge carpet. So they had, we had to like take this little tag and then you go to the register and then you buy the carpet. And in the process of us taking the tag, and going to the register and buying it, we bought it. And then we were just kind of sitting around waiting and it got to be like 10 minutes. And I was like, I wonder what's going on with the carpet. So I asked the person, I'm like, are they going to bring the carpet? And they're like, oh, they haven't brought the carpet yet. And I was like, no. And the guy who was helping us was like, okay, well, I'll go check on the carpet. Disappears. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like, what's happening? Another 10 minutes goes by and I look at Chelsea. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what happened here. And I, I go and find the guy and he's like, I'm so sorry. I think someone I think someone took your carpet. We're like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we can't find it anywhere. And I think someone just like put it in their cart and is like walking. And we were like, what? And the store is so big that literally someone could do that. They could put it in their cart and just disappear. And, uh, and sure enough, this family had walked by and seen the same carpet and just threw it in the carpet in, in the, the cart, even though it was paid for, they got like, they, they didn't get mad at us. They got mad at the guy. Like I was watching from afar and they got angry at the guy who sold us the carpet. <laughs> They're like, no, this wow. is ours. And I was like, this anger is so weird and out of place and strange. And it's over a, a carpet at home goods. Like you could pick any of these that kind of all look the same, but, but it, it was just such an interesting reaction of like how important stuff is to people yeah and i think i think the thing about it is too is when we see people that have you know all the stuff one of the things they talk about in in recovery is we have a tendency to compare our insides to other people's outsides one of the things that i've experienced in in my journey is that you know a lot of times there are people that do have a lot and i'm happy for them but um that doesn't necessarily mean that they feel good. Um, a lot of times their feel good stuff, what makes them feel good is the outside stuff. And a, a lot of times it just promotes um, more. A lot of times we have the, you know, and particularly in the field of recovery, a lot of our problem is not necessarily alcohol or drugs. It's we have the disease of more. And if I just have more, I'll, I'll be better. Uh, if I can just do more, I'll be better. 
I was talking to somebody earlier today and uh, she's in early recovery and, and uh, she has a job and she's starting to see her, her, um, her compulsive behavior around drugs and alcohol manifest itself in the workplace. And um, it, it's really unsettling for her. And she's not really, she has a real difficult time saying no. Uh, just like some, but just like somebody with a compulsive behavior would have a difficult time saying no, and so again, you know, when we are seeking our sense of self through stuff on the outside, it, it's if if that's how we seek our validation, if that's what I traditionally go for, we're going to always be needing more. There will all, there will be never enough, and from a spiritual perspective. And I think you and I talked about this yesterday, where our compulsivity is, is, is trying to fill up something inside of us from things on the outside that are because you cannot fill you cannot fill the emptiness on the inside with stuff from the outside. Mm. It mm. just doesn't work that way. Yeah, um, we can try, and sometimes it feels good, and sometimes it, and sometimes it might even you know have some long some degree of longevity. Yeah. Um, but ultimately there will come to a point where, uh, we will have to stop and take a look at us and my, my needing things, um, outside of me for my own yeah. well-being and including relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I th I, and I think that in almost every wisdom tradition and spiritual tradition, you see that a detachment from these things that like you know, could mask our sort of uh, brokenness or mask our, our unhappiness, stuff like stuff or status or title or all of that. There's always this sort of like pointing the other direction and going like you have to leave that <laughs> to come to this. And yet still, I think, you know, we get caught up in the a lot of the spiritual life offers cash and prizes. And that's what's kind of appealing to people on the outside. You know, that's what that's what you know, when I'm looking for a spiritual solution, a lot of times I'm looking for something that's going to fill me up in the ways that I, I perceive that I need to be filled up, right? Like, no, this is what I need. Like from the spiritual solution, this is the outcome that I need. I need a three car garage. I need, you know, the title, I need the prestige, I need the respect, I need all this. And it's funny. I was just thinking this this morning. I was like, I, I've, I've gone through these dramatic waves in my short life like I'm not I'm not that old <laughs> and yet I've had like you know three different career uh things that I've been quasi successful in and like uh, you know not failures by any means like stuff that I've actually given a real crack and try at and the more I've done stuff the more I realize like nothing is nothing is promised and that's that's okay like I, I think when we're young so much of life we think is like it's supposed to happen like and we get cynical when it doesn't happen because it's a given right like this is supposed to be what happens and i think the only like given in life the only thing that we like are supposed to like naturally have is is dignity like i, I think if you don't have dignity you're doing something wrong and if you're not being given dignity you're probably in a wrong situation and you need to get the hell out of there because dignity is is your right like as a human being but everything else is not necessarily like a promised thing and so I, I i think a lot of my work personally right now is is learning to be at home in dignity and letting that be enough and 
that's difficult because that's not that's not something that other people are going to look at and go like good for you you know <laughs> like even saying a, it out loud is kind of an obscure concept but it's honestly what i've been like humming around in you know yeah it, it's funny i was i was giving a talk um on saturday night and uh i was um one of the things that i came up one of the you know the, some of the literature that i read um and i had to share a piece of that literature in the in, in the talk that i was giving and it, it talked about um, financial fitness uh, versus spiritual fitness. And um, if we put financial fitness in front of our spiritual fitness, our financial our financial fitness is ultimately tenuous. And um, but our our spiritual fitness opens us up to possibilities that financial fitness isn't going to. Mm-hmm. And um, because it's all it's all based on something that we ultimately may or may not have control over. But our spiritual fitness is something that we also ultimately have control over our attitude about things. And this is one of the things that I had to work on and I still have to work on. I mean, you and I signed on today and I was, you know, noticing that uh, Oprah Winfrey has a has a recovery podcast and I go right into it's like, whoa. Well, what about us? You know, and I love Oprah and I think she does wonderful work and it's great. And, and, but it really, Oprah, if you're listening, we'll gladly go on your podcast. (laughs) We'll be happy to participate. Just give us a call. I think you know my number. (laughs) Get in touch with Richard. But, um, but it was interesting because, you know, we go there and, and I, I don't think anybody doesn't go there. I go there. I don't think anybody's immune to having these moments of comparing and, and going, you know, what about, what about me? Um, and what about what I'm doing? And what about what we've got going on? How come I'm not having the experience that they're having? And I think that we all do that. And yeah. there's a quality in Buddhism that I absolutely love. And you don't hear it really talked about a lot. It's probably because it's one of the most difficult qualities that um, that we could that we could tap into. And it's called sympathetic joy. Sympathetic joy is being happy for other people's success. That's a wow. That yeah, no wonder that's not being popular. Ha- <laughs> being happy for other people's success. Huh. And, and and not having it reflect back to us, not having it be about me. I'm not even in the equation. It, there is no, ref, it doesn't reflect back on me at all. I'm just really happy for somebody else who's doing well. And that's it. That's enough. And that's, that's just, there, nothing needs to be said. It's, it, it's not like I'm happy for you, um, but... <laughs> but what about me? <laughs> it's like I'm happy for you, but I've worked really hard, you know. And, but it isn't about that. It's just simply sympathetic joy. And when I when I started listening to that, it's like, oh, wow, how that's like a really. It's no like you said. It's no wonder nobody talks about it. It's not something that it's not something that people tap into easily. And that's why um, I think you know doing having daily spiritual work that we do and i think you and i've talked about it um with our values episode uh, i always encourage it with meditation again that daily spiritual practice even some daily readings that we do help us to stay right-sized so that we're not better than anybody we're not less than anybody who we are is enough as we are 
doesn't mean that we can't go out and pursue things and and have plans and have careers and try to be successful but my well-being doesn't depend doesn't depend on that and um and that's that's the real key and i think a daily spiritual practice and i encourage people to do it in the morning and in the evening really creating a ritual around it and i think that's what our work has been about i think that's ultimately what this podcast is about and it's not easy for people to do because we don't always see the results of it when we do it sometimes we can do our daily spiritual practice and we go oh this isn't doing anything this isn't nothing's really happening you know i'm not getting better i'm not not judging anymore i'm not not comparing myself anymore but what happens for us is when we and this has been my experience is when we engage in a daily spiritual practice and we do it really pretty consistently for like a good period of time and then you stop for a couple of days that's when the miracle starts oh wow i feel kind of off I feel off and and we start to see that judgment coming back in. We start to see that compare and contrast coming in. I mean, I can I can feel that in a heartbeat when I have a client come in, they go, "I don't know what's wrong with me." And I go, "Well, how was your daily spiritual practice going?" And they and they immediately go, "Well, funny you should ask that. It hasn't been going that well. How did you know?" And I go, "I can just tell because we are measuring ourselves based on something exterior." Well, and that's the thing we're we're designed to forget that, and that's something that I have to remind myself daily. Like like when we're doing this this work of of healing or or wellness or spirituality or any religious work, even it's it's something that is not it's not tangible and it's not stackable. So when whenever I am able to stack up sort of my like I'm I'm working really hard on I'm doing, you know, my daily meditations, I'm I'm in rhythm with my life and with what I'm supposed to be doing. That's beautiful. And I am building something. I'm building something like really solid. And what it is is like a foundation, but it doesn't go upward. Like I I, I don't stack these things and then I can leave it for four years and then come back to it. It's <laughs> it's like once I once I stop it it stops. And, and the reason is, is it's like, it's a gift and, and the gift and I, I, and I, I think it's just a different way of seeing things. Like it's a different perception because one, one perspective could be that that sucks. Like why, why doesn't it just add up and why can't I just like do the work for a year and then graduate with it? It's almost like, why can't I get the degree and walk out of there? And like, but in what world do you get a degree in anything and walk out of there and remember every single thing from <laughs> you have doctors have to take tests later on, like lawyers have to take tests later on. Everybody has to refresh and keep that stuff up. The perspective is like, and I think this is a, again, these aren't, these aren't going to be, I, I love this. This should be called the podcast of like, these aren't going to be popular principles, <laughs> but they work. Uh, like they're not shiny and sexy and Instagram worthy. What they are is like what works and, we're gonna and see what works the, is the We're going to see a big dip in our, in, in our, in our podcast. Spots. Like, those guys Huge are, dip. And then one person's going to be guys like, are nuts. life changing. <laughs> um, but the, the, like maintenance is a gift maintenance is a gift and let me kind of unpack that a little bit so that makes more sense if you are able to maintain something it means that you have something worth holding on to and worth saving and that thing is a gift Mm -hmm. maintenance becomes this thing that you take pride in something and not pride in a bad way but you take you are proud and you love something enough to take care of it 
Like, mm-hmm. like if, if someone really loves their car, <laughs> they're going to, you know, they're going to maintain it. Or a better example is if you really love another human being, you're going to take care of them. Like your, your love for them, the extension of that love goes to if they're in trouble, you'll be there. If, if they need help, you'll be there. If they need a hug, you'll be there. That's, that's maintenance on a loving level. And if you love yourself, the maintenance on yourself is a gift. You've come to the place of loving yourself enough to give yourself that maintenance. And what a beautiful gift. But a word like maintenance is ugly, right? No one wants to say that. <laughs> well, I think I think it, it comes back to the value. If I'm really living in my values, if I'm living intentionally, I, I'm, I'm treating myself as valuable. And so my treating myself as somebody valuable is not going to be conditioned. Doesn't change based on my not having money in the bank or a job or a relationship. And that's the work for us. And that's how do I main how do I maintain my sense of interior value, regardless of whether regardless around relationship, regardless about around the feelings, even around depression and anxiety. It doesn't change me. The circumstance doesn't change who I am and and how I'm treating me and I, I, that's to me I think that's one of the big keys about the value practice is sometimes when we are doing our values it feels like it's going in one ear and out the other you know if I'm really caring for myself uh, in terms of maybe nurturing as a value my capacity to nurture myself is going to be reflected in my capacity to nurture those around me I'm offering care because because this is who I am. I can't not offer care because my changing who I am isn't conditioned based on the circumstances. Yeah. I actually, I just heard it was a, uh, it's a beautiful explanation for this. The the U S postal service has that motto, right? Through rain or shine Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. I don't, I don't actually know it off the top of my head, but basically it's hardcore, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically like, we're going to get your mail to you. And that comes from, 200 some odd years ago, whenever this thing was created, it was like, this is, this is a really dangerous job and they've got to get this thing to you. And so like what came out of that is if you still, to this day, if you live in a rural area, an area that's like off the grid or, you know, tough to get to, and you want to get your mail, you want to get these messages, Mm -hmm. um, or you want to get packages that will sustain your life. They have exact measurements for how your mailbox has to be. It has to be a certain height. It has to be a certain width. It has to have like, like, you know, the right door on it, just in case the mailman's finger snaps off or something while he's doing it. They, they literally have these specifications. If your mailbox does not meet that criteria, they will not deliver the letter. And that struck me for the first time. I was like, there's something in that. Why is there something in that? And then it struck me. I was like, oh, it's because like, I'm the type of person that if I lived out in the middle of nowhere, and someone told me I had to build my mailbox in a certain way, I would go, well, fuck you. I'm not building my mailbox like that. I'll, I, I'll, I'll put a hole in the ground. You can just drop it there. Whatever it mm-hmm. is that I'm told I have to do, I want to rally against it. And I want to say like, no, nah, yeah, like your way is not the way that I need. Right. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, if I don't build the mailbox, I'm not going to get the mail. I'm not going to receive it. And like the, the real thing with like, encountering the sacred 
uh, or encountering like a, something bigger than ourselves in our lives is like there are specifications that need to be met. There's work that has to be done. Otherwise, you're just simply not going to get the message. Like the message you will get, which the post office will send you, is we're not able to deliver your mail. <laughs> right. And I, I find that incredibly ironic. The same messenger who's carrying your letters won't deliver that, but they will deliver a message saying we're not delivering here. This doesn't meet the specifications. And I think like it or not, like embrace that, that work and that flow and that maintenance because it's going to deliver something to right. you. And I, you know, I, again, coming back to the values, I think it is that constancy. It's that dependability. It's that being able to be consistent with something and uh, the mailbox. I mean, if you, if you don't do it, it's just not. And uh, I mean, the same with our spiritual maintenance. If, if, if you don't have some kind of constant work that you're doing on yourself, you're going to start, you run the risk of starting to spin, you know, about, because we live in a world that kind of promotes that, you know, we, we live in a world that promotes our unwellness. It's like, if you just take this pill, if you just do this, your life will be happier. If only I had this, I'd be happier. If I had a bigger car, bigger house, a better job a better body, whatever. And so we're so conditioned. We, we have all these uh, messages that keep telling us that we come from, a, that, we're, that we're lacking in some way. You need to do what we want you to do. And so yeah. again, we have that inner, we have that inner compass that we can tap into too. And our inner experience tells us that when we're living in our higher sense of self, we will probably feel better in our day-to-day living yeah i love that idea that like where there's i don't love it i love that you said it (laughs) i love i love that you said that there's a um there's this constant sense of lack because what Mm -hmm. that really comes down to is this idea of you know is the world generous or is the world like depraved Mm -hmm. is 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 there generosity to things or are we living in a world of like scarcity are we living in a world of scarcity or are we living in a world of generosity Mm -hmm. and scarcity is unfortunately kind of the Western way. Scarcity is there's only enough of the pie for me. And if you are in my piece of the pie, like don't tread on me, you're gonna get a shotgun, like whatever it is. It's it's such a strange way to live. And it's so antithetical to like, we come from as a human race, right? Like if you look at like culture on a small scale, there's always this sharing, like everything is enough, right? Like we'll, we can, we can coexist and we can share with each other and everything. And then as things get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, our worlds get smaller and smaller and smaller. And we are constantly fighting and vying for like, you know, there's not enough out there. And so I've got to protect what's mine. It's that, and it's that learned fear that we talk about. We don't come out of the shoot being fear-based human beings. We learn fear. And, and we learn, we learn that if, wow, if I'm, if I'm not doing this, I might not get what I want. It's like what you and I were talking about yesterday. Um, whether we come from a place of optimism or pessimism, it tends to be self-justifying. If we have a pessimistic outlook, it means we're always looking for things that are scarce and it, we are in a fear-based mentality. And um, if we look for things through a, a, an optimistic outlook, and nobody says it doesn't take work. I think it takes a lot of work, particularly in the world that we live in today. But to really incorporate any sense of radical optimism in our life will require a shift in perspective. 
And if we are wanting to feel good about our lives and ourselves as human beings, that shift in perspective is something that we might want to consider. Um, because otherwise, we are always coming from a place of, I need this, I need that, um, and it's, uh, or I don't need this, I don't need that. We're either grasping, we're in a place of grasping or in a place of aversion. And when we're in either one of those places, it's, it's we're not going to feel good. Um, again, we're focusing on the outside stuff. And so it does take um, some kind of path to follow that helps us to be aligned with our higher intentions for ourselves so that we don't slip into that. Um, and I, I always come back to the Dalai Lama has to get up every morning and remind himself of who he is and how he wants to live his life. We talked about that in the value episode and um, it, it takes work. You know, if the Dalai Lama has to work at it, we probably do too. And it, it doesn't happen just because we want it to. It doesn't happen just because we are good people. It doesn't happen just because we're out in the world doing, doing good work or doing the right thing. Our mind, our work is with our mind. Is our mind our servant or are we, is, are we the master of our mind? Who's driving the bus, our feelings or us? You know, that, that the whole mentality is why we get envious or mm -hmm. compare in the, in the first place is because we are so, I, at least I am, I'm so, when I live from a place of lack or scarcity, the world's my enemy. Mm -hmm. Everything in it is like trying to attack me, trying to beat me down. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> I, I had a morning this morning that didn't start out so great. I just, and it wasn't for any, it was just like, <laughs> like I forgot to post the, <laughs> I forgot to post an episode and I was like, oh man. And like, I'm on a walk with my dog. My dog peed on my shoe. There's just a whole bunch of things where I was like, what is that? And then it felt like, well, the world's attacking me. And the truth is, no, like the world's not attacking you. Like, just go post the episode. And then I sent, I sent you a text and I go, oh, then, yeah. where's the episode? And all of that, like, but, but, right, like in that, in that small moment, in that small blip of my day, the world was actively trying to kill me. And in the rest of the day, I can look back on that and laugh. And, and the thing is like, like we're gonna have moments where the world does feel scarce, and and there are much bigger examples than my dog peeing on my shoe and me forgetting to post the podcast. There there have been moments in my life where like it has literally felt like if there's a god, this god is holding a lightning bolt to my throat. Like I like why is this happening? From 2018 to 2020, for for me and my wife, it was a constant beatdown. Two years of beatdown. And now I don't look back on those years and go, what a what a tragedy and how awful and what a cruel world this is. I, I actually look back on those and I go, I wonder what that still holds, it, what, what I'm still going to pull out of that, what I'm still going to learn. My life is my life because those years happened. My world is my world and I wouldn't change my world. That adds a tinge of generosity to life rather than looking at it through lack. And so I think the, the beauty is even the Dalai Lama probably stubs his toe every once in a while and is like, you know, the world's against me. <laughs> but the farther along the path we go, the more ability there is to look back on those moments and just smile right? and just say, wow, I think, look at that. Yeah. I think, you know, I th the thing, the key here is, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think if it really depends on how I see where I'm at today, if I can see where I'm at today, even though things might not feel right or feel good but if i can hold some kind of 
uh, healthy intention about where my life is today, I'm going to look back on on my past with not uh, necessarily from a place of guilt or I wish it hadn't been this way. Um, we're able to see those things as part of the journey that got me to where I'm at. But if we absolutely hate our life today, we hate everything about our life today, and I look back on the past, I will look through my life and point at everything that got me to this place of hating my life. And and that that is the shift in perspective. And it's and so we will, I mean, because I can look back on my life and I can go, I had all this, yeah, but I had all this stuff happen. I had all these traumas happen and I had, the, you know, if, and I look back on it today and I go, and I'm, believe me, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not, I, I slip into scarcity and lack. And so I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I think this is, this is a life's work for anybody. Um, but I'm a little bit more okay with, um, when I, I don't, you know, they talk about it in the promises in 12-step recovery. I look back on the past, past and I don't wish to shut the door on it. I'm able to see it uh, through a, a perspective that feels uh, growth promoting. It, it helped me to grow, helped me to see things in a different way, helped me to see that I could get through things. There's a wonderful reading that I don't know that we've done in the podcast by Ronald Rollheiser that talked about um, we don't break easily. And uh, it, he talks about, are we, you know, if we're coming from a victim mentality, a lot of times uh, we are not seeing ourselves as strong as we could see ourselves. We're a lot of times we're a lot stronger than we give ourselves credit for. I just think of all the the amazing people and, and authors who have written about like coming out of the Holocaust. Um, you know, you got Viktor Frankl. My, one of my favorites is. Um, Corey Ten Boom and Corey Ten Boom isn't like as well known as you know a lot of them. Um, she was actually a uh, a Christian lady who um, was hiding Jewish people uh, from. She lived in Amsterdam and um, created a hiding place in her home, which was. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Amsterdam. It was uh, the Hague, and uh, it was a clock shop. And uh, my dad took me to this clock shop when I was a kid and lived over there for a number of years and um um, and she would give tours of this little tiny clock shop and she would you know show the um the hiding place which was tiny i mean it was just amazing to see that like and she you know five or five five and ten people could be in this little tiny tiny little space and like the tenacity it just took to get that built you know like to to find someone who's willing to build this to keep that secret to do all this stuff and to hide these people and and she ended up, you know, getting thrown in the concentration camps for doing that. And but she was alongside the people that she was uh, that she loved and was was able to hide for a little while. And um, she came back and she would tour this thing and she would show she had this this thing on the wall that looked like this this ball of yarn and it was like coming down off the wall and it just looked ugly and it looked like a painting that was like unfinished or something or something someone had like crocheted that didn't look um, quite right. And she would say, like, a lot of times we view life and, and what God does to us in life like this. And she would hold this crocheted thing, uh, you know, this way. And then she would turn it around. And she's like, but but God actually sees it like this. And when she turned it around, it was the actual image that had been crocheted. And it was the image of a rose. And it was a matter of perspective. It was a matter of turning that around and seeing 
some people can see a mess and it feels like a mess when you're in it when you turn it around it's there but there's someone who's been through hell and back able to do something like that and to still be a human being and to still i'm sure again she probably had moments where even after she overcame the craziest situation in history uh she probably stubbed her toe and was like the world's against me i mean we're not immune but i think that perspective shift really helps shape our our, our it really is we world. you know because a lot yeah because a lot of times we'll go um you know i don't I, god doesn't make the difficult stuff happen i mean my my view is that we start to see things through a different lens you know even in natural disasters we see that's when we see heroism you know how could we possibly know how to label somebody as a hero uh, unless they had uh, had an opportunity for heroic action 